Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good afternoon, everyone. Good evening. Good morning if it's in Australia. Welcome to Coffee with Caroline. It's a beautiful, cold, cozy day. I've got the fire on. I just went for an amazing walk with my grand doggy, who's a husky, and I've mentioned him before. And it's icy outside, and he loves the rain, and we all got sopping wet, and I got back just in time to dry my hair so I could do this live. But it was so beautiful just to enjoy the cold rain and the dog running around and being with my kids. It was just so special, and we were just chatting about things and about life. And that made me think about my top six lessons that I, well, I learned so many things this year, but I'm going to talk about my top six lessons that that have meant so much to me in this year. And I want to share those with you just to help you with your mental health. And one of the first ones is... Just learning to create joy instead of waiting for joy to come to you. We've got this commodity kind of visualization or version, I should say is a better word, of what joy is. As though it's something out there that we can get and get inside of us and we kind of wait for it to come to us on a plate. And then when it doesn't come, we say, well, where's my joy? But you create that joy by appreciating those beautiful moments. Just watching my little grand doggy, Husky, who is quite big actually, dive bomb down the street and go sliding through a puddle of water and all of us laughing and he pulled my, my son-in-law over and they fell over and he videoed this thing and it was just such a joyous moment. We created joy out of the most simple things. It wasn't a commodity, it was something that we created. Just before that, we'd had lunch together as a family because being New Year's Eve. And it was just the whole joy of, of cooking together and, and the smells and the tastes and the joy and the, the laughter and all eating too much. And, and then it was just so beautiful. That's creating joy. And, you know, you have to look for those things that, that they don't, you don't have to go and buy joy. You have to look for them in you and notice them in the small things around you. And it's really, it could be, it could be a touch of a smile from a loved one. It could be a touch. It could be looking at a leaf falling off a tree. It could be looking at, I love white roses and just looking at white roses, whatever. It's taking joy in a cup of coffee. And I love my little, I know it's not the prettiest mug, but it keeps my coffee hot. And I'm always drinking coffee. I love bulletproof coffee. I love organic coffee. And I, I drink black. 
and I'm always drinking coffee. I love bulletproof coffee. I love organic coffee, and I, d- I drink black coffee. And it's so good for your brain, by the way. It's seriously good for your brain. One of nature's best anti antioxidants. And so just the joy of, of, of drinking hot coffee and what it does for me, it's taking, that's the creating of the joy. And I decided that in this year, I chose so many times to create joy in those moments where there wasn't joy. And we, I could have got lost in, the, in all the things that have been going on this year, all the crazy things that have been going on this year. And, and I, even simple things like, I know my husband, this is the craziest thing, but I have been so housebound by the book that I'm writing, this new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. My, it's on pre-order now. This is my baby. I have written my 19th book, and I am super excited about this. This is where you'll learn about my five steps. It's a neurocycle based on my most recent clinical research. And this, you can, it's on pre-order now, and there's amazing bonus chapters. We're starting a book club, and you get the first three weeks of a book club for free, learning how to use this. There's a bonus chapters for children. There's some research chapters for bonus. These bonuses when you pre-order. So go to the link and pre-order this book. It is filled with teaching you how to manage your mind using the scientific principles of the of the neurocycle. Anyway, while I was writing this book, I was really and working, finishing my clinical trials and really busy and housebound and, and I just hadn't spent enough time with my husband and we had to go, we, we went out, honestly, I, I never go to Target I never go, to, I never go, to, I don't really like going to the shops, we went to Target and I enjoyed Target because we had to go and get some stuff there and I mean, it was such a simple thing, but we had such joy just being together and doing something so simple. I mean, that really sounds crazy, going to Target, and that's joy. I mean, I don't like Target, I don't like big shops, but it was just the act of doing something different. So, uh, just going for a cup of coffee with one of my kids, or going, you, you get the drift. Okay, so that's when I've got, I'm just glancing to the side because I've written these down to keep me on, on track. Okay, then the other thing that I learned this year was the importance of boundaries. Now, my good friend, Dr. Henry Cloud, and a lot of you know Henry Cloud, he is just, I mean, he's the king of boundaries and teaching, the, so the king of teaching boundaries. And I've learned so much from him. He, in fact, did a session at my most recent uh, virtual health, mental health summit. And you can actually, you can actually purchase that, the, all 11 sessions, one of which is his. And it's super cheap at the moment. You can put, it's on, I think it's still on sale, but if it's not, forgive me. It's really, it's available. And there's 11 amazing sessions. Anyway, boundaries. Boundaries are, if someone is coming in your space. So think of your home. This is the example Henry uses. I'm just going to use his example because, as I said, he's the king of boundaries. So you've got your home and you've got your walls. We have a patio and we have walls on either side of our patio and our neighbors on the other side. And so so if they, if that's a boundary line, so if they came into my yard and they started painting my walls another color or something they that means that they've invaded my space and if you told them hey i don't want you in my garden painting my walls or replanting my plants or whatever then you are not being difficult you are setting boundaries now you can have a gate where you can invite them in and they can come and visit you but coming over and taking over something that is yours is will leave you feeling like you have had a line crossed that's literally what a boundary is and i really started seeing that if we don't set up boundaries we become an enabler we are enabling that other person and almost allowing them to justify bad behavior so not only does it hurt you and damage your brain because it's toxic, but it's also hurting them and damage, damaging their brain. So setting boundaries is a very, very healthy concept to help you. And so this year, I really learned more about setting boundaries. Now I've been in this game 
for 38 years. I've done 38 years of research. I've been in mental health. I've had clinical practice for 25 years. I've got four kids. I've been married 34 years. I've got a lot of experience around mental health, but it, I, it, my attitude is always I can learn something new. And this year, I really, really focused a lot on boundaries and how to set them, what they are, and how to use them, and how to say no, and how to, when someone, when you set a boundary, very often that person is used to crossing the boundary. So they feel maybe angry at you or get aggressive towards you when you set that boundary. And it's being able to take that guilt. And this is, by the way, one of the questions that was asked. So I'm answering the, that, that question at the same time as actually a lot of people ask the question about boundaries. Um, so I'm answering the question as well as teaching, saying this is a lesson I learned this year. Um, uh, but setting, setting the, dealing with the guilt that comes from setting a boundary and then it, it kind of offends other people, you just got to be strong. You've got to see what that guilt is. That, that guilt, guilt is a very powerful emotion and you can take that guilt and you can use it to springboard, your, springboard yourself into not enabling that person, kind of disenabling because enablement is not a healthy thing to do for someone. You're enabling someone to manipulate you or carry on with their behavior that they shouldn't be carrying on with. So you don't, you want to recognize the boundaries necessary for the, to stopping the enablement and their reaction can make you feel guilty. So you have to immediately grab that guilt, that signal and ask yourself, why am I feeling guilty? Do I need to feel guilty? What is this guilt? And can I use it? Can I repurpose the guilt for something else? Now that's a really cool idea to repurpose the guilt that comes from setting a boundary into something else. And what could it be? It can be repurposed into helping that other person. So you actually then help yourself and you help the other person. You kind of swing it around and you repurpose and say, okay, I'm not going to feel guilty about their reaction. I'm going to stay calm and think, where does their reaction come from? Could that reaction be maybe significant? Or is there, what is the underlying cause? Every single thing that a person does has an underlying cause and that there's a symptom going on there. So by you setting up a boundary and not enabling them to grow their toxic way of managing, you then help them to, re you kind of shift it back and calmly repurpose so that they can then help to find, find the root of that need to cross boundaries and then you're helping them. Yes, it's unpleasant doing it. It's uncomfortable. But you really, and that's another lesson I've learned this year. And it's something I've taught. And it's something when I say I've learned this year, it's something that I've been learning for years. And I think it is a skill that takes us years to learn. And that is being comfortable with messiness in relationships. Okay, being uncomfortable with the, being comfortable with the uncomfortable, accepting it, not thinking, oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. We're having this heavy discussion and this person's saying that and that person and saying that and I'm feeling all uncomfortable and this must be wrong because I'm feeling uncomfortable. No, you are feeling uncomfortable because it's messy and in the depths of the mess, there is the opportunity for growth and repair. Repair and growth, growth and repair. If you don't have the messiness, you can't have the growth and the repairing. So you need to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. We don't want to face those things. We don't want to have those messy discussions. We don't want to confront that person's mood or that person's emotions or that person's way that they're behaving. And, and that way that they're behaving is, is actually crossing a boundary because it's affecting how you are functioning maybe. You want to do you deal with the boundary issue, which was that the, one of the lessons. And you also want to be very comfortable with with, with diving into that mess and seeing that mess as something that is going to lead to growth and repair. So as you repair, you grow, as you grow, you repair. I love that. I love the concept of the fact that embrace the messiness so that you can have growth and repair and be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Now, remember that 
every mind management skill that I teach you, and, and we're going through a bunch of these now, these lessons I've learned basically are mind management techniques. Your brain is malleable, and, and which means plastic. It means neuroplastic. It's changeable. So, <coughs> so, sorry. So these skills are swallowed wrongly. So these skills can be learned. You can learn mind management skills. You can learn these techniques. You can become good at setting boundaries. You can become good at turning that, not enabling other people. You can become good at creating joy. You can learn these things. These are skills. We often think of, that we set in our ways and we can't change. No, these are skills to be learned. And I talk a lot about this in my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. This is so freeing to know that you're not just set. You can change and you can grow and you can develop that skill in yourself and your kids. So I say with all excitement that I'm enjoying my malleable brain and I'm enjoying learning. I'm enjoying learning how to set how to set limits and all those all the things that I've been speaking about okay so my next one is um, the importance of good diet and exercise I mean this is massive in the wellness industry the way I handle diet and exercise is that your mind moves through your brain and your body so your mind is 90 to 99 percent of who you are your mind is how you think feel choose and your brain and your body are over the one percent of who you are so they're very important because the one can't work without the other so the mind needs the brain and the body to express itself to build the memories in and then to express itself and and the and the mind and the, the brain and body need the mind Okay, so they're separate but inseparable. So even though there's a sort of 90 to 10 percent ratio, doesn't mean that the the unconscious that the mind is more important than the brain and the body. So in 99 to 1 percent, I was confusing everyone. The mind is around 99 percent, and the and the brain and body are around 1 percent. But they're equally as important because in the wholeness of having the 99 plus the 1 percent of the physical 99 being mind, 1 percent being physical, in that wholeness, togetherness, that's when the true the true you starts manifesting. So you've got to get our mind and our brain. They work together with it regardless of whether you can't. They don't not, okay? But how they work together, that you control, okay? So it's very important that you, you recognize your ability to control. And I wanted to focus there on the, the reason why exercise and, and diet is so important is that your brain is physical substance, your body's physical substance, and you need to feed your brain and your body. You need brain and body health. So the way you think affects your digestion. So if you are eating this great organic farm-to-table, wild, beautiful, sustainable meal, but you're in a really, really toxic mood of some sort, guess what? You've just lost up to 80% of the nutrition of that great healthy meal, which is scary. You see, your mind drives your digestive system. So if you're in that toxic mindset while you're eating that great healthy food, you're only going to get about 15% of the nutrition out of that. I mean, that's crazy. Okay. So why? Well, it's because of the mind activating the signals of digestion. And just one of the things that goes wrong when you are in a toxic state while you're eating is that your pancreas, which secretes 20 different neuropeptides when you are actually digesting food for digestion and assimilation of food, when you're in a toxic mood, the pancreas doesn't can't secrete all of those neuropeptides. It doesn't secrete them correctly. It secretes them incorrectly. So therefore, when your mind's not working properly, then your pancreas doesn't work properly. When your pancreas doesn't work properly, the rest of the digestive system doesn't work properly. And you lose a lot of nutrition. You maybe get issues with your stomach. 
You've heard of emotional eating? Well, that's pretty much what I'm talking about here. So the mindset behind the meal is a very important thing to bring into a lesson that you need to learn. What is your mindset behind your meal? If you're grumpy and angry and irritable, don't eat. Wait until you calm. And because it's going to cause digestive issues. The other thing about eating that, that is so important for us to, to really focus on, and, and I've done this for years, so it's not difficult for me, but it's, it's, become, it's something I've learned. And that is that there's only one rule for eating. Oh, no, I, I knew you'd love that, okay? Only one rule for eating. And what is that one rule for eating? Eat real food mindfully. So I've already spoken about the mindful, that your mind actually influences and determines how you digest the food and your assimilation of the nutrients and the effectiveness of digestion, okay? And the other part is real food. Okay, so real food is not stuff that's processed. It's not the modern American diet. It's not the sad diet. It's not junk food. It is real food grown without chemicals and all that stuff because that really does contribute to brain health. So you have got to use your mind to make decisions about food as well. So in this book, I have a whole neurocycle because this book is, as I said, is based on mind management and mind management is done through the neurocycle. You've got learning to neurocycle. Neurocycling is the five steps of, um, of how you use your mind to change your brain. And I have one for, for you in here. I teach you how to use this to get diet and exercise under control. So this book's got lots of different things. It's things I talk about really, really put into simple, practical ways. Once, just very quickly, the neurocycle that I talk about in there is the five-step process I have developed and researched over 38 years and just did recent clinical trials last year on, you can see the white paper on my site if you go to drleaf.com. And um, as I said, I have a simple summary of it in this book with graphs and brain maps and all kinds of things to help you to understand the importance of this mind-brain connection and how you can learn to control your brain. So all these things that I teach, I have the scientific evidence behind it plus the practical application. Okay, so let's look at another one, um, the importance of community and connection. Community and connection, we all know that. Everyone talks about it. But it's not just being in a community. It's having deep meaningful connections it's having those those bonds that you form where you can we i just had an incident very recently where i was put in a in a precarious position uh, well not put that's the wrong word i was put in a situation that was very challenging and i i have some amazing friends you may not speak for a weeks or a month or two months or whatever but when we connect there's a deep meaningful connection you know what i'm talking about you've got the same thing and th there were two people that i knew could help me through a situation that i was going through because of my deep meaningful connection and i knew i could phone them up at 11 o'clock on the one night and it was actually talk to them till like one two in the morning getting advice and guidance on how to handle that situation that's a deep meaningful connection it's so healthy for your brain and your body so it, it and it takes work to develop that kind of bond and that kind of trust. We, we bonded. We make each other better. We know all of this stuff. And in quantum physics, it actually is so great when you see the, the, the quantum physics research, which shows that we all are at our most fundamental level are these waves of energy. And we're there to enhance each other. You know, like when a wave goes on another wave, it becomes a bigger wave. So we can enhance each other or we can cancel each other out when the trough and, and the crest hit each other then you get a f it goes flat so we can either flatten each other or we can enhance each other we are entangled in each other's lives so deep meaningful connection is so important okay then i need to move on okay oh, another thing that i think is so important and the reason i'm talking about this is because of COVID year, this year that we we have had this urge to be so productive and, that, and there's nothing wrong with being productive 
being productive is really a human, a natural human tendency to produce, to be productive in, in what you're interested in. The problem I have is is comparing your productivity to someone else. So that's another lesson I've learned this year. Don't look at what you've done and compare it to someone else and think that you're not as good or that you're better. So productivity needs to be determined by you for you. Okay? Did you hear what I said? Productivity needs to be determined by you and for you. What does productivity look like in your life? What are you comfortable with? What What do you need? Not what is... Joe Soap down the road need? What does this one on, on social media need? Or I mean, what are they producing? What are you producing? Okay, so let, let me see. I think I've covered the... Oh, one more here. I really focused this year on Memento Mori, which is the concept of if this is your last day on earth, what would you say to your loved ones? What What if this was the last day that you're on, on earth, the last day to tomorrow you did? Okay, I mean, I don't need to be morbid or anything, but I'm just asking you to shift your mindset and to think, what would I do differently? How would I look at my life if this was the last day? And I know you've probably heard this before, but it's called Memento Mori. But you know, when you actually challenge yourself to think like that it's fantastic at how you appreciate so much about the people around you and what they do in your life and you find yourself reaching out in those deep meaningful connections and creating joy and all the little things I've been speaking about and, and looking at the simple things of life it just change it changes your mindset it shifts how you function and not only mentally remember your mind moves through your brain but it actually creates tremendous brain health so it's almost like using a negative visualization to make you wake up and be aware of what you have got. Okay, so now I'm going to answer a few questions. And we're going to be doing lots of lives, by the way. So keep your questions rolling in. Okay, the questions are not over here. I've got the questions over here. Okay, so once again, I have to select. I just select a few and I kind of group them together. And um, so if your question isn't directly answered, I've normally grouped them together to sort of, um, so it makes it easier to answer as many as I can. Okay, so... Someone said there's a, people wanting techniques to help with anxious mind, uh, with, help their minds with anxious thoughts. Okay, so an anxious thought, and there's a lot of questions around that. What do I do about an anxious thought? So first of all, let's define a thought, and it, then let's define anxiety, and then we'll talk about what to do about them. And the detail of how to deal with anxious thoughts is in this book. You can neurocycle, there's neurocycles for how to deal with anxious thoughts. A thought is a concept. It's, I mean, a thought is a whole it's like a tree. It looks like a tree in your brain. A thought is a real thing, and it occupies mental real estate, place in your brain, just like a house occupies mental real estate. Thoughts are real things. They look like trees. Thoughts are made of memories. So memories and thoughts are not the same thing. A thought is the whole tree, and the memories are the roots, the tree trunk, the branches, and the leaves. Okay, So you can have thousands of memories in a thought. And that's why when one thought comes up, a whole bunch of stuff's associated with it. And you can keep adding to it and it keeps changing all the time. So thoughts are all your thoughts are constantly, organically changing all the time. They're always malleable. The minute you're aware of something, aware of the thought, you can change it, add to it, take away, etc., etc. So it's always changing. So a thought is made of memories. Okay. So then when we talk about an anxious thought, then we're talking about a toxic thought. We're talking about a, a something in that toxic thought tree is producing the signal of anxiety. Okay, So anxiety is therefore a warning signal. Okay, So thought is this physical structure made of proteins that you build into your brain with your mind. So mind builds thoughts. You build thoughts into your brain with your mind. 
So your mind is how you think, feel, and choose. You think, feel, and choose in response to everything that is happening around you, what you hear, see, taste, smell, touch, read, etc. You think, feel, and choose, puts that into your brain, you grow a tree. And every experience that happens. So, so when you're having a talk anxious thought, that signal of anxiety is a warning signal. It's like kind of like the odor that the tree gives off. And when you pay attention to the warning signal, then and you embrace it and don't run away from it, and you don't think it's something scary, but you actually think, hey, this is something that's telling me something. It's a symptom of an underlying cause. There's something going on there. When you look at it that way, you shift your brain and body into positive stress, which makes you more intelligent, more insightful. You can see things more deeply and then you can then go from the warning signal of the anxiety to the branches and leaves of the tree which are the memories that are manifesting this behavior that you are manifesting so whatever you say and do so your signal which is the anxiety shows you the behaviors linked to the anxiety which shows you the tree trunk which is the perspective that this um, that, that, that these the, these behaviors are coming from and that perspective is, is has, has a root that is producing it which is the origin story so you can track back from the signal to the branches which is the, or the behaviors to the tree trunk which is the perspective to the roots which is the cause and the origin and once you do that you can rip the tear throughout the ground there's the roots in the air they're malleable you can change the origin story so you can change when I say change it you can't change what's happened but you can change its impact on your life and you can change how it plays out into the future granted this is very very difficult and that's why I do talk about that in, in my book and that's why one of the other lessons that I have learned this year and it's also related to one of the questions and that is that you can't deal with anxious thoughts alone we need each other to help each other you need to be able to be free to say I feel so anxious about and then you start looking at your behaviors and that about you eventually can dig out what the about actually is because you very often don't know what it is. So when I get these kinds of questions where I'm getting pins and needles sitting like this, um, when, you get these kind, when I get these kinds of questions about people saying, oh, how do I deal with anxious thoughts? It's very broad. It's an excellent question. But let's pack, unpack what we're talking about. So what we're talking about is a warning signal. That is, that if you look at the warning signal, you'll then look at your behaviors, you'll then look at the perspective, you'll then find the origin story, you then reconceptualize that into how you want it to play out into your future. And in that way, you shift the power balance and you get control. And that takes me to another question, is that this is not going to, so someone said there, I read all these techniques and I hear all these great things, but I, and I use them for a few days and then I don't, I don't apply them. So basically that went to another question that spoke about, I'm just having a look at the questions here, about application. How do I get myself to apply these things? Well, like I said in the beginning, your brain is malleable and, you can, and your mind, manage, mind management, which is using your mind to change your brain, is a skill that you can learn. You can learn to do these things, but learning to do these things, sticking to the techniques and, and training yourself to literally learn to stick to something is a skill. So sticking with something. It's going to take you 63 days to train yourself just to stick with something. So if you're battling to stick with something, you most probably are giving up at around day four. So you use it for around about four or five days, and then you just give up on it, and you, and you move on. But it doesn't take 
only three or four days or five days to turn something into a habit that you'll keep using it. It takes a full 63 days. And then so you've got a neurocycle. You've got to use the five steps daily for 63 days. And that's what this book teaches. So please pre-order this book. It's life changing. It's my book. I'm telling you about that. But this is based on so much science. It's not some, um, it's not some woo-woo wellness motivational technique or, I mean, or saying or concept. This is hardcore science to teach you how to Learn to train your mind to train your to train your mind to change your brain. So you use your mind, your core inner wisdom, and you develop that to train your mind to control those anxious thoughts, to control those toxic thoughts. Now there are lots of different warning signals. So anxiety isn't one. I did a post about this recently, and I actually said, and I gave some examples of this of, the, um, of this, and I said, it was three days ago, and I spoke about emotional and physical warning signals of, of um, warning signals of things like uh, sorry. I rephrase that. I gave a, I did a post a couple of three days ago on the, the 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 signals that can be linked to anxiety. So anxiety is a big warning signal, and it manifests in those behaviors. So remember, the warning signals have the behaviors. So what are the behaviors behind anxiety? So we, what will be linked to anxiety? What what are the branches of the tree? So a difficulty concentrating would be one. A sense of dread, nausea and digestive issues, irritability. Perfectionism, procrastination, difficulty with decision making, sleeping issues, worsening headaches, being over controlling, excessive working out, light and noise sensitivity, derealization and depersonalization, excessive need to use the bathroom, intense dreams. Okay, so knowing your signals, okay, and knowing knowing your signal, like for example anxiety, and knowing how to recognize the behaviors behind the signal, you may not have all of those, but maybe a few of those that I read out you do have, and then you've got to look at, well, what is the, what's the perspective these are coming from, and why? So you're going deeper, deeper, deeper into your non-conscious mind, you find that toxic ball of energy in your non-conscious mind, and you're pulling it out, and you are reconceptualizing it into healthy energy in your brain. Energy is never lost, it's always transferred. Okay. Okay, so then the next question over here is, um, actually there was one, another one around anxiety. Someone's went for COVID tests and they're very anxious waiting. And in the anxiety of waiting, they're starting to experience symptoms. And then there was someone else who asked something around, when I, sometimes when I think about something, I can like almost feel it in my body. Well, that is correct because your mind and body are connected, okay? So your mind works through your brain and your body. So if your mind is thinking, oh, I've got COVID, your body responds and you can start manifesting the symptoms of something. And this is what I even showed this in my research, my most recent clinical trials, that when you are very anxious, your immune system does change. Your, you will have um, changes in something, like, in something called prolactin, for example, and homocysteine, for example. So there's changes in the blood. There's changes in the DNA. There's changes in the brain waves. So there's a physical response to those feelings of anxiety. And over time, they, can, they accumulate and then can you can land up with all kinds of you know problems and diseases manifesting in your physical body so it's really good to train yourself to recognize your signal don't chase it away don't be scared of it and, and, and embrace it and process it and reconceptualize it and using the neurocycle will really help you um, in the book club that we've got which is part of the three weeks is a bonus part of a bonus book club I'm going to be doing neurocycles on all kinds of things so like 
you can send in your requests and, and you'll be able to ask me how do I do a neurocycle four and then I'll teach you how to do that. Now this book is filled with examples. Let me tell you, when you know how to neurocycle, neurocycling is the new biohack, okay? It is the biohack. Neurocycling is how you use your mind to change your brain and change your life. It helps you to achieve mental peace in the midst of chaos. It doesn't mean your life's going to be rosy and everything's going to all go away and you're just going to be walking around like a smiling avatar. It means that you're going to be able to deal with the hard stuff. It means you're going to be able to stay calm in the midst of a crisis and have wisdom and clarity of mind. It means that you're going to get those those exercise routines, etc., under control. Okay, I had another great question was, um, what do, for mental health professionals that are on the front line with COVID, I just want to honor you and thank you for I've seen firsthand how these, um, so many of men, uh, medical professionals, my friends and people just in the work that I do, just seeing people in hospitals and, and these frontline workers, they're just amazing. I met someone the other day who's just had a baby, the baby's three months old and she's out there working with COVID, COVID patients. I mean, it's just fantastic. So I just want to honor you. But we got a question from one of these amazing mental health professionals who is really battling with the anxiety and that the person that they are experiencing related to this constant overwhelming whelming looking after people all the time and the constant I mean watching people dying and going through that pain that is really hardcore on doctors and in fact physicians and people in the health profession one doctor a day is dying from suicide because of the pressure so we for, for this particular person the medical professional asked what are some tips and there's a lot of tips and, and, and I don't have time to go through me all of them everything I say basically is already a tip that you can use as a mental health professional is you know looking at the anxiety signals and seeing joy in the little things everything I've said so far you can apply and will help you but in addition there's another key two key things that I think will really help medical professionals and one is developing a sense of community I happened to be in a hospital recently for 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 um, not not because I was sick but for a work thing and what I I was just astounded that they in in the time that I was there there were like 140 cases severe cases of COVID that came in but what I noticed amongst the health professionals was something that I hadn't noticed for a long time. And I've been around hospitals for years because of the work that I do. And generally, I mean, there's a lot of camaraderie, but this was different. What I saw very recently in in this discussion around with the, the mental health professionals was a tremendous com- camaraderie around the person, the people connecting with each other, wanting to know about each other's lives, really getting in, getting excited about you're going home to see your baby, give your baby a hug, and oh, that's amazing, and clapping for each other. So it was that, oh, you know, people, I've got friends, I've got people that really care about about the fact that I've that I've that I've got this baby of three months old, and I'm here helping COVID patients, and someone, someone, lady was leaving, and said, I'm going to the end of my shift now, and I'm going to go and do this, and then someone said, go home and have a hot bath, and go and have a rest, and we're going to miss you, but we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. That camaraderie is vital to refuel you. You know how great you feel when someone has said something nice to you and done something nice? Well, that is that camaraderie as a mental health profession. Are you getting it? Are you? I know we all, we're all told, you know, mental self-care, take time for yourself. You must do that. Are you doing that? And that is one of the main tips that I will give you is you do need to take that time, even if it's an hour. You've got to find your recharge and you've got to recharge. But you can also recharge with this beautiful camaraderie, which I think is is, a, is vitally important. Then there's another tip that I think will help mental health professionals and and uh, mental health professionals and physicians and those frontline workers is um, and people right in the front line when it comes to dealing day to day, day in and day out with the challenges of COVID. Um, and that is 
okay, I actually wrote it down here. I want to make sure that I say it correctly. Is wanting what you already have. Wanting what you already have. This is such a cool concept, okay? It's the last concept I'm going to talk around today. Wanting what you already have. What do you have as a mental health worker or as a physician, a frontline worker? You have some phenomenal knowledge in there. You spent years and hours studying this knowledge that is just so incredible to know how to help physically help the human body and to help people with mind issues. And that is what you have. So it is knowing, it is um, it's the mindset of wanting what you already have. You already have knowledge and you wanted that knowledge because you studied that. So instead of thinking, I know it's hard and, and we've got, you, you've got to also embrace, not instead of thinking, you've got to embrace that overwhelmed feeling and, and, and that's a signal that, you, that you're burning out. You need to take rest and, and have that camaraderie. But what will also help reboot you is to want what you already have. You already have beautiful knowledge. Want it and, and own it and get excited about, wow, I, I learned this about the vaccine. I learned this. I could do this. I could help them with that. I know that. And it's wanting what you've already got and enjoying that and, and reveling in that knowledge. That builds resilience in the brain. It builds brain strength. It's called brain building, literally. Wanting what you have. What did I, why do I keep... Let me read it again. Wanting what you already have, okay? I just love that phrase. Wanting what you already have. And when you want what you already have, you're going to build your brain. I've got a whole chapter in here on brain building. It's something I would do with my patients before I did any trauma work, any hard learning work with ADHD and that kind of thing. What I would work on brain building. Wanting what you've already what you already have. In other words, what's your desire? What knowledge do you have? And then growing it, which grows brain resilience. When I'm really tired and anxious and stressed, like I, like happens can I mean I'm human we all do it okay so this is it's 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 normal it's a, it's reactions to life I don't just allow it to wash over me and control me though I take that signal and look where it comes from but if it, if I find it's coming from a place of a lot of trauma before I go and deal with that that hard work of detoxing the trauma which I teach you how to do here too detoxing trauma I will do brain building I will want what I have already and I will grow it more. So I'll go study another scientific article or something that'll grow my brain. Okay, I'm going to end this talk today, this live today with a challenge for you. And this challenge that I'm throwing out there is, okay, what is one amazing, okay, I'm just going to read this to you from here, from this angle. What is one amazing thing that happened what, that had happened this year. What is one amazing thing? So just think what that, what, what is that? And just post it in, in this Instagram live. What is one amazing thing that happened to, to, to you this year? And what is one thing that you want to let go of this year? So one amazing thing, that, thing that's happened to you, one thing that you want to let go of. It can be an idea, a person, a habit, a label. Okay, so if you're letting something go, then you're going to make room for something better. So that's my challenge to you. Guys, I will see you on Saturday for the next lives. Please send me more questions. Don't forget to put the comments in the post. Don't forget to pre-order your book. And I hope you have a beautiful, happy new year. Even if it's going to be a quiet one, if you are out, please wear your mask. Please do social distancing. Please be careful. It really does work. Masks really do reduce the chances of infection. Let's work with our amazing mental health professionals who are begging us to wear masks and to socially distance. Let's honor the beautiful work that they're doing. And let me honor all of you. You got through the year. As awful or great or happy or up and down as it was, you got through the mess. You're here on the eve of 2021. And may you have the most beautiful year coming up. And we will get through. If it's another messy year, that's okay because we can grow and we can repair. See you soon. I'll see you in the new year. Saturday afternoon, I'll see you all again. Bye-bye, everyone.